This is the Key 5 Podcast for speakers by speakers with your host, Robert Ferguson, where you'll get quick, relevant tips to build your speaking business. Welcome to the Key 5 Podcast for speakers by speakers. For show notes and to get free stuff, go to key5podcast.com. Today, we're talking with Wendy Gates Corbett, the owner of Refresher Training, who is passionate about presentations and training. She speaks nationally about the power of visuals and presenting powerfully with presence. Let's get started. So, Wendy, uh, give us a one-sentence descriptor of what you do. Sure, Robert. It's great to be here. I fix boring presentations and presenters by providing presentation design and delivery consulting. Well, that's succinct, and I love the sound of that. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you get started in the speaking business? Well, Robert, I actually got started um, by designing what I call a signature presentation. Because I do presentation design, most people have a hard time understanding or or envisioning what it is that I do. When I tell people I'm a presentation designer, they think, oh, my slides are fine. I know how to use PowerPoint. And they don't know what they don't know about the power of incredible slides. So I designed a signature presentation that, uh, that informs and inspires my audience. And while doing that, it educates them and helps them see what presenting powerfully can look like, both in terms of how, as a presenter, we command the stage using verbal language and body language, but also what I call slide language. So I've designed a signature presentation, and I do that presentation anywhere and everywhere I can. Wow. I love the sound of what you do because even though all the speaker coaching is, you have to be ready to do your speech even without technology, we know that most speakers have it and you're helping them make their presentations even better. Precisely. Oh, I like how you said that. (laughs) So I like to ask my speakers though, and this will be really interesting for me, What's we learn from our mistakes? What's some of the biggest mistakes you've made or you've seen other speakers make? Well, um, the biggest mistake I can think of is one that I made, unfortunately. Um, a couple of years ago, I was invited to speak at a leadership summit for a nonprofit organization. And I did my research about the organization, and so I felt um I felt like I knew the audience that I was speaking to, Mm -hmm. but I forgot to ask the event coordinator what the theme or the vibe was for the entire event. So as a result of that, the presentation that I delivered, the tone of it, while it wasn't heavy, it didn't match the celebratory theme of the event. And so there was really out of sync Um, As a result of that experience, I realized that it's really important to always ask the meeting coordinator about the the theme or the, certainly the theme, but also the vibe and the personality of the event so that the tone of my message will match the tone and the vibe of the event. 
I can appreciate that dilemma. I've had a few speakers mention that. And uh, yeah, nothing like being off target to where you'd like to be. Exactly. I'm, I'm sort of uh, relieved to know that I'm not the only person that's happened to while I'm sad that it happened. I am sort of relieved to know I'm not the only one it's happened to. I actually think that's probably happened at least once to almost every speaker. <laughs> I'd love for you to share as well, though, because you're so uh, attuned and have the expertise about presentation materials, PowerPoint slides, visuals, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see speakers make with their visuals? Some of the biggest mistakes I see with presentations um, that I see presenters um, deliver is that they use their slides as their script. And script means words. And when words are on the slide, everybody is going to read those words. That's true for the audience, and it's also true for the presenter. So I think that, that sadly, many presenters take an, um, an inappropriate approach to designing slides. They design slides that serve them, the presenter, to help them remember what they're supposed to say. But effective slides and appropriate slides actually communicate to the audience more so than the presenter. Hmm. So that's some of the, the biggest mistakes I see. And another mistake that I see is, is some presenters know that they need to have images on their slides, but their images are tiny. They are stamp size and <laughs> stamp size images just don't work. They actually backfire. So when I go looking for images, Wendy, and I, I look at the, the larger file cost or even credits or whatever, there's always this hesitation of, oh, I bet it'll be just fine if I get the smaller file size. But that's probably not a good idea, is it? It's not a good idea to cheap out on images. Um, I think it is worth the time, effort, and money to locate the best visuals to help you communicate your message to your audience. And when you find that visual, you want the highest quality image that you can purchase. And you purchase that image once and you can use it thousands of times. So when you find that perfect image, invest in the high resolution or highest quality you can purchase because it will help empower and amplify and visualize your message. Makes sense to me. Well, as you, you say, you have a presentation that you make regularly. When you're preparing for an upcoming speech, what and knowing your expertise with presentation material, what is your process of preparation? How do you prepare for an upcoming speech? Well, it's um, it my pro my preparation process is still evolving. What I what I know and have routinely done is speak with the event coordinator. Having learned the hard way, I uh, speak to the event coordinator about the audience and the theme of the event and get a sense of the vibe for the for the entire uh, the entire meeting or event and then i focus on the one thing that i want my audience to take away and when i think about my, that one thing i want that one thing to be practical to be tactical or to be something that they can see do or experience mm -hmm. Once I've identified that one thing that I want them to take away from, then I think about stories or anecdotes or um, statistics, 
and other ways that I can help flesh out that one thing to help make that sticky or help make it memorable. Then I craft my speech by connecting those anecdotes and the stats and the, the concepts. Um, I craft the speech from that. Once I've crafted the speech, then I design the slides and search for images that help visualize the, the key points. And then I practice. Um, and actually one of the things that I've just I've started doing more so recently is whenever possible, I wanna speak with a couple of attendees or a couple of the leaders um, helping coordinate the event. And one of the things I've just recently started asking is about their vocabulary hmm. so that I can be using their the audience's vocabulary more so than using my own vocabulary. For example, sometimes I speak with business owners Sometimes I speak with training professionals. Sometimes I'm speaking with students. And all of those have different vocabulary. So I wanna make sure that, um, that I'm using vocabulary that resonates with the audience. Interesting. Would your visuals that go along with your presentation change or can you use the same visuals, just change your vocabulary depending on your audience? I think it depends on the audience. For example, if I was speaking to a group of college students that are first or second year, I may have a different set of images or at least some of the images may be different than if I was speaking to an audience of women business owners. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, I'd love to hear because our, our listeners of our podcast are speakers and they're trying to build their speaking business. Uh, what are some of the things you're doing to try to build and promote your speaking business? I am networking um, amongst um, a network of professional speakers. I network quite a bit with organizations. I've started reaching out to organizations that lead organizations, sort of like a one-to-many, as opposed to um, individual um, organization leaders. Mm -hmm. I've, also, um, I've also had a new website designed. My company's website focuses on presentation visuals and presentation coaching. But I, my speaking website is wendygatescorbett.com. That specifically focuses on the types of presentations and speeches I deliver. So I've had that designed. And I've, I've also started submitting RFPs to conferences um, and have started delivering my signature presentation to expanded audiences. For example, one of the, the newer audiences I'm focusing on are, camp, are college students and college leaders. So I've started submitting additional proposals to speak at conferences where there are students and student leaders and college staff, college and university staff that help lead student leaders. Smart and brilliant is how I would say that uh, being very clear on your target group and what you're doing to get in front of them. Well done. Thank you. Wendy, as you, as I look at your, you know, your presentation style, sometimes we have um, some we've modeled after or those we admire. Is there a speaker that you admire or somebody you've modeled your speaking style after? I really resonate with a conversational presentation style. 
I don't like feeling like I'm being presented to or someone is orating on stage. That, that doesn't reach me. And so I really like presenters who have a conversational style like we're just chatting. They could be presenting to a room of five or 50 or 10,000 people, but their, their presentation style sounds very conversational, like we're just sitting around chatting. One of the people who I think delivers in that way is Brene Brown. I really like her conversational style. Okay. Thank you. Well, as we wrap up here, Wendy, is there um, a tip or recommendation that you can offer to our listeners? I can. One of the things that, that I continue to learn and relearn both myself and what I see in other presenters is the value of practicing your presentation out loud. Practice it multiple times, even if you've delivered it before. And it doesn't matter how many times before you've delivered it. I have this sense that the more energy that you can give to your audience when you're delivering a presentation, the bigger the impact your message can have. I think that we have a certain amount of energy and the less we know our content, the more energy our brains are going to have to spend on trying to remember what we say next. So the more we practice out loud, the deeper our own content and our own message sinks into our own memory. And that means that when we're on stage, that we can use that energy to connect with our audience instead of trying to remember what we're going to say next. Wendy, I love that. I have not had anyone describe it that way. I've talked about energy, but that the reason you need to know your content is that you can then put that energy into connecting. Brilliant. Exactly. That's precisely it. Well, Wendy, this has been great. Thank you so much. And as we like to say to our listeners, see you on the stage. Thanks, Robert. I'll see you there. Now let's hear what Alan Hoffler has for us in our Millswick Minute. Today's speaking tip is about why your slides are not your speech and why you shouldn't put your speech into your slides. We've talked before about the importance of understanding your message and that your presentation is not your slides. There are three reasons I can think of that emphasize why slides cannot be your talk. First, showing a slide is an implicit contract to cover the material. Nothing makes an audience uneasy quite like saying, well, we're going to skip this part as he pages through a bunch of slides he doesn't cover. Second, slides are difficult to do well. The easiest slide to make is most often the worst slide to use. Slides take thought and effort and should be done after a speech is entirely written so that they enhance the message rather than drive the message. Most speakers, well, they create their content in PowerPoint or Keynote. I think that's a huge mistake. Have your message, have it complete, then add your visuals. Third, a slide deck is sure to get out. It was never intended to be a handout, and when people start taking pictures and tweeting and distributing slides on their own, you've lost the ability to control the message. You should publish materials that help your brand. Don't let someone else do it poorly for you. Speakers are not narrators. Concentrate on your message and the value to your audience far more than creating pretty pictures or themed lists of talking points. You are the presentation, not your slides. I'm Alan Hoffler, and this is your Millswick Minute. Thanks, Alan. Maybe that's the advantage of speaking through a podcast. I can't use any slides. 
But I know this, if I needed professional slides, I'd call Wendy Gates Corbin. On our next K5 podcast, I'll be interviewing Evan Carroll, who provides keynotes and workshops on technology, customer experience, and digital culture. He's also an amazing MC. I hope you can join us. To listen to all of our podcasts and learn more about our guests, go to key5podcast.com. That's K-E-Y and the number five, podcast.com. And remember to enter your name for a chance to win a copy of Alan's book, Presentation Sin. At the end of every month, we're giving away a book. So go to key5podcast.com today. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by your local studio. For more, go to key5podcast.com. Thank you.